0: listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered
1: charity. Hello and welcome to the 1874th edition of St Edmund's News Talk for the 13th of April. The editor of this edition is Claire Mellor, the producer is Harvey Johnson and your readers are David and Carol Gooderham. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. And now we have the headlines. Frustration over refugee help scheme.
0: Plans are revealed for a new hospital.
1: Arrest made after explosives found.
0: Helping you as the cost of living sores.
1: Residents across the county have offered their homes to people fleeing the Russian invasion under the Homes for Ukraine scheme, but organisations are reporting that bureaucracy is preventing them from bringing refugees to the country. The Government says 115 visas have so far been issued for refugees coming to Suffolk, 49 in West Suffolk, 30 in East Suffolk, Baber 18, Mid-Suffolk 10 and Ipswich 8. In Essex, 240 visas have been issued including 33 in Colchester, 25 in Braintree, 15 Tendring and 13 in Malden. John Sweet, 72, is helping to organise the Debenham Village Response but said the situation had not changed since he spoke to the eadt at the end of march when there were 50 homes available but no refugees had arrived he said i always thought this was a compassionate country and one that held its arms open to people in dire straits but it is not he added that while the government appeared to have made progress in issuing visas for the family scheme which linked to find a single home for a whole family they could still be housed within the locality He added, there are four million displaced outside of of Ukraine, six million inside. Most of those people just want somewhere safe until they can go back. The countries next to Ukraine all help, and the UK needs to take its fair share. But the Ukrainians with relatives in the UK, the pace of visas through the sponsorship program was sluggish. By becoming a sponsor, people can provide a home to a Ukrainian they know, or record their interest, To be later matched with a refugee. Mr. Sweet added, It is a sad state of affairs from our point of view towards the government. In Felixstowe, retired RAF Wing Commander Kim Belshaw has been using Facebook and a network of churches and missionaries throughout Europe to match Ukrainians with sponsors. On Saturday, he said so far he had matched about 40 refugees to 12 sponsors, which represented an increase on when he last spoke to the eadt at the end of march and had connected thirty ukrainians with eight sponsors however he was also scathing of the government's response particularly an unwillingness to share data on sponsors which would make it easier for him to match people with refugees he said knowing who had come forward to offer accommodation would enable organizations and charities to find appropriate homes and keep families close together as even if, they could not, even if they could not, government has not been doing so. Mr Belshaw, who served with NATO in Afghanistan, said, if nationally 200,000 people had offered their homes for refugees, there must be approximately 2,000 in Suffolk. However, because sponsors' data was not available to community groups, <coughs> linking them to refugees would prove very difficult. Among those who have managed to reach Suffolk is ex-professional tennis player Masha Colonial, 23, and her daughter Lisa, 4, who have been given a new home on an alpaca farm in North Suffolk. Celeste Goshen and her partner Sergei Greshev, who is originally from Russia, decided to take the family in as a part of the Homes for Ukraine scheme at their farmhouse in Shipmeadow near Bungay. Mr Krashev drove across Europe to collect the pair, who are now settling into life on the farm. A spokesperson for Suffolk County Council said more than 500 refugees were expected to arrive in Suffolk. Councillor Bobby Bennett, Cabinet Member for Equality and Communities said, We are so grateful to the many people in Suffolk who have opened their homes to Ukrainians by signing up as sponsors via the Homes for Ukraine scheme. We are working at pace with partners to ensure that the arrival of Ukrainians into Suffolk is as smooth as possible. Suffolk has always been a welcoming place and we continue to work with and support all refugees, asylum seekers and migrants in the county.
0: Plans have been revealed for West Suffolk Hospital's new building, which includes a vision for a garden hospital, a multi-storey car park and the use of a manor house. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust has submitted an outline application for a new hospital of up to 100,000 square metres on land at Hardwick Manor in Bury St Edmonds, as well as a surface and multi-storey car park with associated infrastructure, a structural landscape a, a buffer, a temporary construction compound and a demolition of existing hospital buildings. It also wants to change the use of Hardwick Manor from a single residential dwelling to health-related uses associated with the new hospital. The planning application follows a consultation with residents about the use of the 26-hectare Hardwick Manor site as the current as the hospital's current main building in Hardwick Lane is nearing the end of its life having been in use since 1974. A planning statement said, The building has now reached a point where future maintenance will not extend its viability beyond 2030 and, consequently, its replacement is critical to avoid the risk of public health caused by the infrastructure. The application includes the demolition of the main hospital building, decant ward, diabetes centre, occupational health building and the administration building. Buildings to be retained are the Catering Block, the G1 Macmillan Unit, Quince House, Education Centre, Wedgwood House, Day Surgery Unit and Eye Treatment Centre, Staff Accommodation, Busy Bees Nursery, and St Nicholas Hospice Care. The existing route to Hardwick Manor via Sharp Road would be removed and the main access to the new hospital would make use of the existing most westerly access off Hardwick Lane on the current site. The junction would be upgraded through a new roundabout. Heights of the buildings would range from four to seven storeys. A design and access statement said the overarching vision was to create a garden hospital sitting within the mature parkland setting of the Hardwick Manor site. It said, the garden hospital, as a concept, seeks to connect the internal hospital environment with the natural world around it. Positive benefits for patients include an improved overall experience with, with both out and inpatients benefiting from views to the parkland during treatment or recuperation. Among other details... Bus operators have been consulted on extending the current bus route through the existing site to the proposed new hospital on the Hardwick Manor site and if unable the trust would provide a shuttle bus. Extra parking provision would remove the need of the rugby club park sorry the need of the rugby club park and ride service and decrease the likelihood of staff and visitors using surrounding residential streets. The existing site has 1,748 parking spaces and the maximum number at the new site would be about 2,150 spaces. When the new hospital building has been designed and the number of staff, bed numbers and outpatient appointments are known, the final parking numbers and layout would be agreed with West Suffolk Council. The helipad on Hardwick Heath is expected to be upgraded for night flight under a separate application and the proposals include a helipad on the roof or part of the new building. The construction of the new hospital would require about 650 construction workers. The, a design and access statement said the application for the Grade 2 listed Hardwick Manor would allow for office and support services for the new hospital. The manor has eight bedrooms and was extended with a new living room wing. It added, mindful of the heritage and aesthetic qualities of the house and gardens, the trust wished to retain the walled gardens to provide staff and potentially visitors with opportunities for rest, relaxation and quiet Mm -hmm. contemplation.
1: A police cordon was put in place as a man in his 50s was arrested following the discovery of a number of explosive materials at a home in a West Suffolk village. Police, as well as Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service crews and an Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit, attended an address in Great Livermere at about 1pm last Wednesday after receiving concerns regarding the storage of suspected explosive items at the property. Officers conducted a joint visit with trading standards and identified a quantity of potentially prohibited firearms, ammunition and explosive materials. A spokesman for Suffolk Police confirmed a man in his 50s was arrested at the scene under the Explosive Substances Act, 1883. He was taken to Bury St Edmund's Police Investigation Centre for questioning. Police later confirmed the man was subsequently released on police bail until Friday, April the 22nd, pending further inquiries, A Suffolk Police spokesman said, No properties have been evacuated, however, a cordon at the address is expected to remain in place into the weekend, as police searches of the property are ongoing and officers conduct inquiries into the circumstances surrounding the incidents. Officers would also like to thank local residents for their patience and understanding while inquiries are conducted.
0: Uh, Today, this newspaper launches a campaign to try to help its readers through the cost of living crisis. As experts warn, the situation is worse than they've ever seen. Your Money Matters will tell of the challenges people are facing in our region and, where possible, highlight practical solutions which may ease the financial burden. We will identify and highlight areas in which people are being treated unfairly and campaign for changes where needs be. It comes amid blunt warnings from experts about the extent of the crisis. Nikki Wilshire, Chief Executive at Citizens Advice Ipswich, said she recently took a call from a a single mother who was sharing a bed with her five children to stay warm at night as they could not afford to put the heating on. Our campaign also includes a manifesto to support readers and businesses. As part of this newspaper's Your Money Matters campaign, our manifesto reads as follows. This newspaper will commit increased resources to cover the cost of living crisis. Our reporters will commit to telling your stories, sharing both your struggles and successes during the crisis. We pledge not just to report ways people are being affected, but to help find practical solutions to ease the burden. We will identify and highlight areas in which people are being treated unfairly and campaign for changes where need be. We will highlight ways people can financially support others living on the breadline. We will support local firms to highlight their struggles and how they are trying trying to save consumers save money through money off offers and deals in the newspaper and online. We will aim to do our bit to help. Brad Jones, editor of the EADT and the Ipswich Star, said, "This issue is affecting everybody." and the impact could last for years. Our pledge today is that our newspapers will do what they can to highlight problems and provide practical solutions to ease the burden where possible. Over the next few weeks, we will run a series of articles focusing on various aspects of the cost of living crisis. Our reporters, features and business writers and investigations teams We'll work to ensure we really get under the skin of the issue. Nikki Wilshire, who's the the chief executive at Citizens Advice Ipswich, said the situation was the worst she had seen in nearly 30 years. It's affecting more people, she said. There are always people who are in a bad situation and need support, but it's now affecting more and more of the population.
1: Now this item is from the Eastern Daily Press and is headed what next for the PM after party fine and it gives us um, the PM's statement in full. Speaking at Chequers, Boris Johnson said today I've received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police relating to an event in Downing Street on June the 19th, 2020. And let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology And in the spirit of openness and humility, I want to be completely clear about what happened on that day. My day began shortly after 7am, and I chaired eight meetings in Number 10, including the Cabinet Committee deciding COVID strategy. I visited a school in Hemel Hempstead, which took me out of Downing Street for over four hours, and amongst all these engagements on a day that happened to be my birthday, There was a brief gathering in the Cabinet Room shortly after 2pm, lasting for less than 10 minutes, during which people I work with kindly passed on their good wishes. And I have to say, in all frankness, at that time, it did not occur to me that this might have been a breach of the rules. It goes on to say, Boris Johnson has now paid a fine and apologised for attending his Downing Street birthday party in breach of lockdown rules. Pressure is growing from opposition politicians for him to quit as Prime Minister, but last night he vowed to focus on the job in hand. Mr Johnson became the first serving Premier to be punished for breaking the law, as he and his wife Carrie and Chancellor Rishi Sunak were all fined. He said, At that time it did not occur to me that this might have been a breach of the rules. The police have found otherwise and I fully respect the outcome of their investigation. South West Norfolk MP and Foreign Secretary Liz Truss tweeted, The Prime Minister has apologised and taken responsibility for what happened. He and the Chancellor are delivering for Britain on many fronts, including on the international security crisis we face. They have my 100% backing.
0: And this has been written by Craig Black of, uh, of the West Suffolk Hospital significant growth in waiting lists and the length of time people are having to wait. The issue of waiting times has been widely publicized up and down the UK. Sadly, we are not immune to increasing waiting times and people in the area are having to wait longer for procedures provided by the Trust. We continue to work through our waiting lists, prioritizing those with higher clinical needs And doing all that we can to see patients as soon as possible. Our Waiting Well pilot aims to support patients by reducing the risk of deterioration of their mental and physical health while they are waiting for their procedure. It is really important that every patient's health is optimised so they are in as, as good condition as possible for their surgery. Through Waiting Well, we are providing health and lifestyle information coordinated interventions and personalized support to our patients i also encourage patients to visit www.sneewellbeing.org.uk stay well for surgery oblique suffolk oblique west for details about keeping healthy and accessing local support whilst you wait the cost of living I am very aware that we are each having to deal with the impacts of cost of living rises. I am concerned about how this is affecting our staff and also our local population. Poverty is a major driver of ill health and for some people increases in food and energy bills will push them further into deprivation. We cannot underestimate how much this will influence mental and physical health outcomes. My advice, if you are struggling, is please seek help as soon as you can. There is help out there for you. Outline planning application for the new hospital. Looking to the future, we are excited that we are on track to submit our outline planning application for our new hospital, which should be built later this decade. Since the new hospital plans were announced, we have made it our goal to include the community and the opinion of, of uh, patients and staff are at the heart of sh- shaping what the new facility will look like and what it will do. This needs to be a future proof facility that will offer support, care and safety for the thousands of residents throughout West Suffolk for generations. Having the views and opinions of those who will be using it matters greatly. Thank you to all who have come to our engagement events so far. There are going to be very many more in the future, so please keep your eyes open for them.
1: Throughout the pandemic, tourists kept flooding into Suffolk despite lockdowns. Now, some people predict the county could be in line for a surge in their numbers. Tourists bring with them money and jobs. Around 10,000 people are employed in tourism in East Suffolk and, before the pandemic, it was bringing nearly £700 million to the area's economy per year. But they can also bring congestion and a loss of community as locals are priced out and move away. Is the Suffolk coast nearing a tipping point where the negatives outweigh the positives? We asked people who live and work in the area what they thought. Shopkeeper Mark Thomas runs... Emmett's, a 200-year-old food store in Piesenhall, He took over the business in 2000, and he says it has changed significantly since then. When I first bought the business, it was very different to what it is today. It was much more focused on the village, he said. Every morning in 2000, Mr Thomas explained there would be a queue out the door of his shop of people waiting and wanting one slice of ham, a pint of milk, a cigarette... We sold them individually and a newspaper. Now, the store, which is on the A1120 tourist route, relies more on passing trade. But he does not blame tourism alone. He said villages are much more transient now. People are travelling further, and so they drive out of the village on a day trip, and then they go to the coast and they come past my shop. He also cited car ownership and the number of supermarkets as driving the changes in his business, and East Suffolk since 2000. Time doesn't stand still, he said. The supermarkets were coming. People have more cars nowadays. There's no real loyalty anymore. A lot of retail is impulse. There's still an element of local, but people also come from Cambridge or from the Midlands or wherever. They're on holiday and they have to come past my shop because we're on an old Roman crossroads and so you set it up to appeal to people. So I welcome tourists and I welcome local people.
0: This uh, article is written by um, Councillor Richard Smith, who is Southwark County Council Cabinet Member for Economic Development, Transport, Strategy and Waste. And The heading is Failure of £77 million um, bid to fund uh, buses was not down to a lack of ambition. Councillor Smith says Here at Southwark County Council, we were saddened and disappointed at the failure of our bid for funding under the government's levelling up of bus services through the Bus Back Better scheme announced last week. Suffolk County Council submitted a bid for up to £107 million over five years. A tremendous amount of work went into, into preparing that bid and it was a figure we felt would have given us a real opportunity to transform bus services making a huge difference for passengers and operators alike. But it was not to be, and we must now continue to provide services from within our existing means while we work to establish our enhanced partnership with operators. However, we have asked the government for clarification on why our bid failed, because we do not accept its position that unsuccessful applications fail to show sufficient ambition. We strongly dispute that Suffolk is, an, is unambitious in its approach. Quite the contrary. Suffolk is an extremely ambitious and forward-looking county and there is plenty of evidence to prove why. The government itself has shown it recognises Suffolk's ambition by making it one of just nine local authorities to be invited to negotiate a county deal as part of the government's levelling up white paper. Suffolk is pursuing a Level 2 deal for extra powers over areas such as climate change priorities, local transport functions, adult education and bus franchising, but without an elected mayor such as Andy Street in the West Midlands. Why is this such a vote of confidence? because it recognises the strong levels of cooperation and leadership to be found here in Suffolk. We are promoting the county to central government. We have partnership working with with district and borough councils (coughs) and the strong support of our MPs. A county deal will unlock hitherto untapped potential in Suffolk. Another county council scheme that will do the same is the the Gull Wing Bridge, currently being built in Lowestoft. Anyone who witnessed the excitement that was generated in Lowestoft by the arrival of the bridge's first m- major section just a few weeks ago will know just how important this scheme is to the town.
1: And now we have some readers' letters. And this first letter is from Cliff Hind via email, and it carries on the theme about public transport. heading is, Did We Lose Out Due to Lack of Ambition? I can't be alone and despairing about the failure of Suffolk County Council to secure funding to boost bus services. Counties all around us, Norfolk, Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, have received funding, but in Suffolk, nothing. Connections across Suffolk are poor and have been continually cut, as has school transport. Coupled with the lack of major trunk roads, the fact Suffolk is not served by a motorway or an adequate rail system and now the increasing cost of fuel, what are residents of Suffolk to do? Reducing reliance on private transport would reduce pollution and improve air quality, but once again we have missed out in Suffolk. The Transport Department said it gave money to areas which had the ambition to repeat the success achieved in London, which drove up bus usage. So by implication, Suffolk glossed out due to a lack of ambition by their elected leaders.
0: And this letter is from uh, Mr Ian Pulford of Cable St Mary. Sir, Suffolk has seven Conservative MPs, two of whom are in government and one recently out of the, cab- of the Cabinet, but still well connected in high places. We also have a Conservative-run County Council, but together they were unable to construct a business case that would secure essential funding for Suffolk buses. This is a truly appalling situation. Suffolk is a largely rural county and many young and elderly people in villages rely on buses to get them to and from schools, shops and towns. One would think that having this cohort of well-connected MPs and councillors, they would be able to construct a compelling business case to ensure that they looked after some of the most vulnerable people in Suffolk. (coughs) But no, this hopeless bunch could not. I doubt they could even organise a party in number 10. Come the next election, we should remember this level of incompetence and vote for a change.
1: And yet another letter um, about the bus services. And this is from Graham Day of Stowmarket. He says Suffolk deserves better bus services. It was very disappointing to hear the news that Suffolk County Council's bid for £77 million for bus funding has been rejected by the government. The key to the failed bid is in the words Ambition to repeat the success achieved in London which drove up bus usage and made the bus a natural choice for everyone and not just those without cars. Successive administration at Endeavour House have treated the provision of rural bus services as an afterthought as many village communities know, only too well. With park and ride services in Ipswich, the County Council always seems hell-bent on providing the worst possible service. It has for many years become a pale, disgraceful shadow of the service which was offered by the Borough Council on its inception. The lack of a good park and ride service is a disincentive for shoppers stroke visitors to Ipswich. Unfortunately, the ambitions stated are far too woolly, The list appears to be a tired refugee from a brainstorming list of the 1980s. Government bids are a very competitive world, and the County Council needs to be sharp and not rest on its political laurels because, as we know, anything with this government cannot be trusted. Time to go back to the drawing board and make sure it never happens again. Go to the successful authorities to see how they succeeded and involve the bus operators at all stages. Most of all, involve people with vision and creativity. Suffolk deserves far better bus service than it gets. The learning starts now.
0: And the next letter is from uh, Neil McKinley, who is president of the Association of Personal Injury Lawyers. And his letter is headed Human Rights Have Essential Role to Play. Plans to dismantle the Human Rights Act and create legal hurdles for ordinary people who seek to hold public bodies to account are abhorrent. The bereaved parents of soldiers who died in snatch Land Rovers in Iraq and Afghanistan sued the MOD under the Human Rights Act. Their children were sent to war in lightly armoured vehicles, which were known not to offer enough protection against roadside bombs. The government suggests suggests that cases brought under the Human Rights Act are often trivial and without merit. What happened to those families was not trivial and their cases were found to be valid. If they had not fought for justice, the MOD's failings would simply have been allowed to happen without any accountability. Human rights claims play an essential role in keeping organisations in check and ensuring justice where those human rights are breached. We should all be alarmed by the government's approach.
1: Martin Dayton of Woodbridge has written, um, Sir, Mr Wilkinson's excellent letter in the East Anglian Daily Times on April the 4th emphasises the need for a radical reduction in our consumption of energy. He also mentions that nuclear fission reactors take 10 years to build. In my view, it should also be noted that the vast amounts of concrete used in these constructions create a carbon pollution that is not quickly or easily offset. Cement and concrete are responsible for three times more carbon pollution than the global aviation industry. I believe the construction of nuclear fission reactors will add to carbon pollution over the next 20 years and our world does not have 20 years to arrest catastrophic climate change.
0: And uh, this is um, a reader's letter to to remind us of the value of the Postal Service. Thank you for rescuing my letter. On a recent very windy morning on the way to the Post, a letter blew out of my hand and disappeared. May I please give a huge thank you to the person who picked it up and posted it. It contained a donation to one of the charities supporting the people of Ukraine, and I thought you would like to know that it... That it arrived safely,
1: Brian Locksmith of Needham Market says, Sir, with the considerable number of new massive warehouses being built, and the great number of new housing estates popping up in Ipswich, Bromford, Claydon, Needham Market, and Stowmarket, has any thought been given by the planning authorities in Suffolk to include a mandatory requirement for all new buildings to have solar panels. The energy saving which could be achieved in just one industrial estate, for example, at the Gateway 14 site at Stowmarket would more than justify the expense. And now we have some features.
0: And this feature is um, written by Martin Taylor and it's entitled Old Walls Still Have Mystery. With the wholesale demolition of the abbey, and removal of the ashlar limestone blocks encasing the flint core what is left are mere shells subject to the elements however not all of the abbey was despoiled the magnificent abbey gate and norman tower proud vestiges of this once noble religious institution survive some of the ancillary buildings of the abbey were never swathed in stone rather they were built with the local material available flint some of these walls still survive today as that in musto street part of the stone buttressed northern precinct wall of the abbey built by abbot anselm's sacrist's hervius and radolphus during his abbacy just under 90 meters long and forming a boundary to the great court this is the longest length of any of the Abbey walls, stretching from the Abbey Gardens, Musto Street entrance, with a blocked postern gate up to the Abbot's Bridge. The Department of the, of the Environment, formerly Ministry of Public Buildings and Works, was taken over in 1983 by a new agency, English Heritage, and it was at around that time of this changeover of responsibility for our past 1984, that workers cleaning down part of this wall made a startling discovery. Hidden amongst the flint and mortar is a curious doll. Approximately 12 centimetres high, this diminutive female statuette, properly ceramic, is in 18th century costume with petticoat and bonnet, and has its arms crossed, clutching an open book with a date, possibly 1777. It is set in an arched mortar niche. Mercifully, its high location, three metres above the ground, is protecting it. Now, questions have to be asked. Is this a genuine figurine from the past, or a case of some wag playing games with us? Close by the Abbot's Bridge, with its prison-type bars, is the cell that may well have been the gatekeeper's lodge, accessed from the abbey side. Opposite this cell, from the other side of the Abbots Bridge, is a continuation of the rubble-flint wall, with the superb new council tennis courts on the site of the former Borough Plant Nursery. During archaeological excavations in preparation for the courts, evidence of leather tanning was discovered. This repellent medieval industry required copious amounts of water, hence its proximity to the River Lark.
1: And This feature is entitled Nature's Song Contest. Forget the voice, forget the X Factor, if you really want to hear some amazing voices then get yourself to Lackford Lakes. Visitor Experience Officer Mike Andrews introduces us to some feathered friends and their wonderful song. Spring is a wonderful time at Lackford Lakes when the reserve comes alive with bird song. April is when the singing contest really gets going when our birds that are here all year round, like our song thrushes, need to compete against lots of small birds, called warblers, (coughs) that arrive back from Africa during this month. Warblers are small birds the size of a sparrow, and tend to be little delicate brown birds. When they open their beaks, the most amazing sound comes out of these tiny birds. To me, spring does not begin until I hear the beautiful sound of a willow warbler. They create a series of sweet, liquid notes. Each type of warbler sounds different. Some love to show off like the the white throat with its scratchy sound whilst others like the reed warbler makes its squeaky sound from deep within the reeds on the reserve. Another bird that will be back soon and often ends up stealing the show is the nightingale with its far carrying rich and varied song. These birds arrive back around the middle of April and can be heard singing best around our visitor center at the end of april stroke beginning of may to celebrate these birds arriving back at the lakes we are having our spring discovery day on sunday april the tenth wildlife guides will be available to help identify our spring wildlife around the trails children can do the spring spotter sheet and follow our spring trail visitors can join us anytime between eleven and four then Towards the end of April, we are having a special Nightingale Week on the Reserve, from Wednesday, April the 27th to Wednesday, May the 4th. The Reserve will be open late until 8pm to give visitors the best opportunity to hear these wonderful birds. Full details about what is happening this spring on the Reserve can be found on our website at Suffolk Wildlife Trust forward slash Blackford Lakes. And if you'd like to hear Birdsong, then do tune in to Radio 4 and listen to their Tweet of the Day.
0: And the next item is entitled Queen of the Theatre. And this is about Dame Judy Dench's theatre date at the Theatre Royal. Seven time Olivia Award winning actress Dame Judy Dench is set to appear at the Theatre Royal next month. And she's looking forward to it. How lovely to be returning to Bury St Edmunds after such a long time. Its historic auditorium is a magical place and its rich heritage must be preserved for generations to come. Dame Judy Dench in conversation is on May the 29th at 3pm. Owen Calvert-Lyons, who is the theatre's artistic director, said, We are extremely fortunate to have Dame Judy Dench as a life patron. It's wonderful to be able to welcome her here again for this special afternoon where guests will be able to see Dame Judy in an intimate space and pose questions to her about her life and career in a questions and answer as part of the event. All of the proceeds of this fundraising evening will go directly towards supporting Theatre Royal's core fundraising target.
1: This is about Her Majesty the Queen. The Queen has spoken about her bout of COVID, saying it left her very tired and exhausted. The monarch tested positive for COVID in February, and despite having what Buckingham Palace said were mild cold-like symptoms, was determined to carry out what duties she could. She later overcame her bout of the virus, and described the experience during a virtual visit to the Royal London Hospital on Wednesday to mark the official opening of the medical institution's Queen Elizabeth's unit. During her video call with workers and medical staff, the Queen listened to their stories of coping with the huge influx of Covid patients. Around 800 people from across northeast London were treated at the 155-bed Queen Elizabeth unit, built in five weeks to meet the demand instead of the usual five months. Speaking to former Covid patient Asaf Hussain and his wife Shamina, the Queen said about the virus, It does leave one very tired and exhausted, doesn't it? This horrible pandemic.
0: And uh, this uh, item is entitled Craft Market back in Suffolk Towns. A popular craft market selling handmade produce from local businesses was back last weekend. Um, The Makers Market returned to Bury St Edmunds and Haverhill with Newmarket holding the market this Saturday. Every month, market-goers will now be able to support small local businesses selling items such as ceramics, woodcraft, original artwork, felting and needlecraft, candles, soap and ironworks.
1: And here's a personal view from Camille Berryman. Sunshine, rain, sleet and frost. I haven't known whether to don sunglasses or thermals since my return from Egypt to the UK. Obviously the weather is our favourite topic of conversation in this country and I thought that after 43 years on the planet the British climate could not shock me but I admit to being surprised to see snow falling on April the 1st. It was a stark contrast to the previous week when I landed back at Luton to considerably warmer temperatures. Having left Sharm el-Sheikh wearing shorts it was thankfully surprising, but surprisingly balmy when we alighted our EasyJet flight and stepped onto UK soil. After arming myself with a litre of water and a massimo latte at the airport, the first to rehydrate from the flight, the second to help with the early hours' drive home, I set off on the return journey to Bury St Edmunds via my fabulous holiday companion Laura's Stevenage home. I arrived back on the Morton Hall estate at 1.45am, feeling tired with a dose of post-holiday blues. It was only stood on my front doorstep. I realised there was a major problem. I did not have a door key. I'd taken my husband's car to the airport and he had helpfully removed all the other keys from the fob. The fact I had no way of getting back in the house never crossed my mind. So I stood there, tired, shivering, and in desperate need of the toilet, after all that liquid, ringing the doorbell and knocking the door as loudly as I could to wake my house without waking the neighbours. My attempts were futile. Not a creature stirred inside my home. However, the neighbourhood dogs were barking and lights pinged on up and down the street. I retreated to the car to consider the best course of action. After 34 unanswered calls and copious unseen text messages, I concluded my husband was in a coma, so I popped the car seat back and tried to get to sleep. Every time I nodded off, the need to go to the loo or the cold temperature, by now it felt like four degrees, shook me out of slumber. Eventually, I was roused by something else, the noise of a moggy, yowling at top volume. Ah, yes, it was my... 18-year-old geriatric and senile house cat, Loki, wailing. I can hear Loki's no- no- nocturnal meowing outside inside the kitchen while I'm outside the house in a car on the driveway. How is no one inside waking up? I questioned in my, by now, slightly manic mind. And then came the light bulb moment. As I envis- envisaged Loki in my kitchen a picture of a potential solution popped in my head. As well as the usual appliances, my kitchen contains an Amazon Alexa, a device I'm able to control through my phone. Within moments, the app was updated, the device's volume turned to full blast, and several alarms of varying sound set. By now, it was 4.45 a.m. At 4.50 a.m., a a bleary-eyed, underpants-wearing, profusely apologetic husband appeared to save me from my plight. All was forgiven, once I'd visited the toilet, that is.
0: A Berry rickshaw launches Sister Delivery Company. A new eco-friendly delivery service which uses pedal power instead of petrol has been launched. Eco Carriers, BSE, is a new zero-carbon delivery service for Berry St Edmunds and surrounding area. It has been set up by BSE Rickshaw volunteers as a separate organisation to serve the community in an eco-friendly way. Berry Rickshaw has offered free joyrides around the town for the last four years. It also provided a vital lifeline for many during the pandemic by offering a free delivery service for prescriptions, shopping and food parcels. Eco Carriers, however, has been established as a not-for-profit company and community benefit society. The service can also be used by community organisations and individuals, but is currently looking to partner with businesses. Rickshaw Trustee Amanda Martin, an Eco Carriers rider, said, we want to work with local businesses, offering local drops that are more efficient and environmentally friendly than by van or car. In turn, this means they can offer customers an eco-friendly delivery option. Our standard service guarantees same-day delivery for jobs booked before 1pm, but we are happy to discuss bespoke arrangements as well as discounts for bulk orders. We are very excited to launch the service, which is not only relevant in this time of climate change, but also to the rising cost of living, particularly petrol prices. Eco Carriers has three cargo bikes, a trailer, and five riders. Its riders are paid a fair hourly rate. One of the first businesses to sign up is is the, a berry restaurant, Maison Bleu. Customers for its Lee range of ready meals now have the choice to have their meal delivered through the service when they order. Eco Carriers delivers in Central Berries and Edmonds Zone 1 and surrounding villages Zone 2. Delivery charges are for small, medium, large and extra large packages and prices range from £3.50 to £15. Additional charges may apply depending on weight and an extra £2.50 is added on
1: for Zone 2. Half of Baber District Council's ten strong cabinet has now resigned in just a week. Liberal Democrat councillor for Cop Dock and Washbrook, David Busby, has confirmed he has resigned his cabinet role for assets and, re- and investments, the fifth member to quit. It follows the dismissal of independent Derek Davis from the cabinet earlier this week amid a row over his journalism day job a move which prompted a protest resignation from the three other independents on the Cabinet, Clive Arthie, Alistair McCraw and Elizabeth Melvese. All five remain councillors. Mr Busby penned a letter to Conservative leader John Ward and said, I have the ability to work with most people, but, in terms of ethos, there is a chasm between me and the controlling influences of the rest of your Cabinet. Mr Ward will announce a new look cabinet this week, set to be a conservative minority administration for the 12 months until the May 2023 elections. He was sad to see Mr Busby resign and thanked him for his work and support.
0: A pub in Bury St Edmunds has been very busy hosting community events to raise money for those affected by the war in Ukraine. Oaks Barn, alongside Vinyl Hunter and local people, have raised £1,274 to go to the DEC Appeal, Ukraine. The Vinyl Hunter team held a music event which raised £477, while two coffee mornings organised by Nicola Miller and other cooks raised £665, and a further event by musician Nick Lowe made £84.65. Heather Warren, owner of Oaks Barn, said... We wanted to support those who have been affected by war and the staff wanted to get behind the appeal. We are a community hub and the way the community has got behind the appeal has been heartfelt. People really wanted to help. Oaks Barn is set to host a Ukrainian foodie night on April 21st, showcasing traditional Ukrainian cuisine from 7pm. Heather now hopes to raise a total of £2,000 but says the team will continue to raise money for as long as they possibly can. A team of musicians is planning to work to put on events for Ukrainian people when they arrive and Heather is offering up a room at Oaks Barn for Ukrainian groups.
1: Motorists faced queues for fuel this week. The shortages came as activist groups Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion blocked key delivery terminals across the country in protest of the environmental impact of oil and gas. Supplies of unleaded and diesel to Bury St Edmund's Tesco store were both affected.
0: Seven new trees have been planted to to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Six prunus trees, a flowering cherry, were planted on Monday on the green at Lake Avenue in various and Edmonds. A seventh has also been planted at the Anselm Community Centre. It was the idea of Mildenhall Road estate resident Fredella Hogg after she spotted tree planting schemes to mark the landmark year. The Mildenhall, the Mildenhall Road Estates Residents Association then linked up with Bury Town Councillor Diane Hind who agreed to donate around £180 of her locality budget to buy the trees. Councillor Lahind, and the residents then won permission from Suffolk Council to plant them. The council also agreed to look after them while they are young and agreed to record them among all those being planted this year to mark the anniversary year. I'm so grateful to Fredella for the original idea and to the Mildenhall Road Estate Residents Association for being proactive, said Councillor Hind.
1: And here's a little bit of news use, use from ten years ago about watering plan to keep gardens in full bloom. April 2012 saw council bosses draw up plans to ensure a Bury St Edmunds beauty spot remained in full bloom despite a hosepipe ban that had been implemented earlier in the month. St Edmundsbury Borough Council would use three large containers called Bowser's to supply the Abbey Gardens with water. A more targeted approach would be adopted with only the central flower beds being watered. Councillor Robert Everett said that the central area would be watered earlier and later in the day to reduce evaporation. He said we will be using rainfall to take care of the grass and the rest of the gardens.
0: And this is a item on tourism and is written by a hotelier. Nick Atfield, who is the Director of Properties for Adams, He said he feels very buoyant about tourism in the county, but is aware of the danger of the area becoming too commercialised. He said, I think there's real interest in Suffolk, and I think the Suffolk vibe fits in with what a lot of people are after at the moment. It feels authentic, it feels genuine, it feels natural round here. I think people have cottoned on to that fact. It's not just the coastal towns of Southwold and Alborough, or the villages of Walberswick and Thorpe Ness. People are realising how lovely Halesworth, Woodbridge, Beckles etc. are and that there is lots going on. We've moved away from agriculture and it now feels like we are exploiting properly and wisely our tourism economy. Let's just hope it doesn't go too far. You haven't got that homogeneity, that sort of grip on the market like in some parts of Devon or Cornwall, there's a massive tail of lovely, independent, small businesses that operates across Suffolk. And that gives it character, difference, passion and attention to customer service, because you've got to compete. They're very personal businesses. As long as we don't become sort of muddled, muddled modern white blocks everywhere, because then we'd lose our unique selling point, that sort of genuine, authentic feel that we still have. As long as our planners are firm on the right kind of building projects, extensions and new builds, or what have you, then we won't lose that special USP.
1: Now if you've got some special plans for this coming Easter weekend, here is the weather forecast. On Good Friday, it will be mostly dry with sunny spells, but areas of cloud will bring the risk of an afternoon shower in the west. Light south-easterly wind Maximum 18 degrees centigrade, 64 Fahrenheit. On Saturday, it's going to be a dry day with sunny spells and areas of patchy fair weather cloud. Light southeasterly wind. Maximum temperature 16 degrees centigrade, 61 Fahrenheit. On Easter Sunday, it's going to be largely dry and sunny with areas of patchy cloud in places. Light to moderate southerly winds. Maximum temperature, 18 degrees centigrade, 64 Fahrenheit. And on Easter Monday, cloud and rain clearing to bring sunny spells and areas of patchy cloud. Light to moderate westerly wind. Maximum temperature, 14 degrees centigrade, 57 degrees Fahrenheit. So it sounds as if it's going to be pleasant weather for the weekend.
0: Horrible Histories author... Terry Deary, has written a book on the grotty history of Suffolk for Moises Hall Museum in Bury St Edmunds, Called Terrible Tales of Moises Hall Museum, Terry will be launching the book himself at the Cornhill site. For more events and tickets, go to org.
1: Now, if you'd like to test your knowledge, here's a question, um, and we'll give the answers next week. In which ship did Bartholomew Gosnold set sail in 1606? Was it A. Mayflower, B. Cutty Sark, or C. Godspeed? Something to think about over the weekend, and we will give the answers to that next week. Now we are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmunds' News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo, and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken, and from the Suffolk Mercury. Telephone number mentioned in this edition is Theatre Royal in Berry, and the number is 01284 769 505. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Claire, Harvey, David and Carol, it's goodbye. goodbye. Goodbye.
0: listening To a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our various St Edmunds studio.